There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. Christ's Incarnation, Glad Tidings to All by Charles Simeon Luke 2, verse 10 and 11 Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. It has pleased God on many occasions to confer upon the poor some peculiar tokens of his regard. He has even chosen them, in preference to all others, to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom. But as though he had designed to mark with special approbation the exertions of honest industry, he has vouchsafed his most distinguished favours to them at a time when they have been employed in the duties of their respective callings. Gideon, who was of a poor family of Manasseh, and the least in his father's house, was threshing his father's wheat when he was called to judge and to deliver Israel. Saul, who also was of the least family belonging to the least of all the tribes, was seeking his father's asses when he was anointed to be king over Israel. David also, the least of Jesse's family, was brought from the sheepfold, that, from tending his father's sheep, he might be exalted to the throne, and be made the shepherd and king of God's peculiar people. Thus, when God had sent his dear son into the world, he commissioned an angel to announce the tidings of his advent. But to whom did he send the angel? To Herod, or the chief priests? No, but to poor shepherds who for the security of their sheep and their own mutual convenience were keeping their watches in rotation through the night. To fix their attention and to counteract the scandal which the tidings themselves would occasion, for it must seem strange indeed to hear of the Saviour of the world and the Lord of glory lying in a manger, the angel appeared clothed in light, such light as clearly indicated the dignity of the messenger and the importance of the message. Having dispelled the fears which his first appearance had excited in their minds, he addressed them in the words which we have just read, in elucidating which we shall consider 1. The Tidings Announced The birth of Jesus is here declared, and the city wherein he was born is specified in appropriate terms, in order that the accomplishment of that prophecy which had foretold the place of his birth might be distinctly seen and acknowledged. The description here given of Jesus is worthy of our deepest attention. The angel describes him by, first, his office. Many saviours had been sent to Israel in former ages, but here was one infinitely superior to them all. 
one who came to deliver not one people only, but a whole world, not from temporal bondage or misery, but from sin and Satan, death and hell. Second, his right and title to it. The name Christ, as also the name Messiah, signifies anointed, and it was the name by which the great deliverer was expected both by the Jewish and Gentile world. Now this name denoted his divine commission, together with his supereminent qualifications for the performance of his office. The kings and priests, and in some instances the prophets also, were set apart for their respective offices by a holy unction, and he in whom all these offices were combined was consecrated to them by a public and immeasurable effusion of the Holy Ghost. He was no unauthorized obtruder, but a saviour duly sent and qualified. Third, his sufficiency for it. Had the person announced as a saviour been a mere creature, he never could have effected all that was necessary for those whom he came to save. But he was the Lord, even Jehovah himself. It had been said of him by the prophet, eight hundred years before, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called the Mighty God and that prophecy was declared to be now accomplished. Consequently, whatever he had undertaken he was able to perform. His atonement would be sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. His righteousness would be sufficient to justify all that should trust in it for acceptance, and his grace would be sufficient to make them conquerors over all their enemies. Together with the tidings themselves, the angel announced also, two, the importance of them. The term behold is always used to mark the importance of that to which it is prefixed, but here the precise view in which the tidings claim our attention is distinctly specified. They are a matter, first, of exceeding joy. To illustrate this, we need only observe by whom the message was delivered, and to whom. An angel was the messenger, but he was not privileged to say, to us is born a saviour, no, there was no saviour provided for the fallen angels, but for man when he fell. God became incarnate. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Suppose then that instead of being sent to men, the angel had been sent to his fallen brethren, and that, having opened the gates of hell, he had announced the tidings to the apostate spirits, to you is sent a saviour. Oh, what joy! had been diffused through those miserable regions. How would the vaults of hell have rung with acclamations and hosannas? How would every spirit instantly have forgotten his pains and pressed forward to hear the full import of this astonishing message? Thus, then, ought the tidings to be received amongst us, since the only difference between them and us is that on them is executed the sentence they deserve, and we are shut up in prison waiting to have the same executed upon us as soon as the full measure of our iniquities shall be completed. Second, of universal joy. These tidings were equally interesting to Jews and Gentiles, to those of the apostolic age, and to us who live at such a distance both of time and place. Nor is there one among the children of men who has not equal cause to value the Saviour that is here announced. Who is there that does not need the merit of his atonement and the efficacy of his grace? And who is there to whom they are not freely offered? 
There is not one on earth who can be saved without them, nor is there one, however abandoned, who may not, by a believing application to the Saviour, be interested in them. Well, therefore, may they be called good tidings to all people, since they are so to all, of every age and of every description, and well may the prophet call on the whole creation to shout for joy. We conclude by inviting you all to imitate the shepherds. First, inquire into the truth of the tidings you have heard. The shepherds instantly went to Bethlehem to see with their own eyes the truth of what they had heard. To you, then, we say, go to Bethlehem, or rather, go to the Bible, and search whether these things be not as they have been represented. What would you have thought of the shepherds if, when they had such an opportunity of obtaining satisfaction on the point, they had neglected it and had laid themselves down to sleep? Oh, be not ye such yourselves. You have incomparably better means of information than they had. You may see the whole record concerning this holy child, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Yea, you may see the union of the Godhead with his human nature, and may read, as facts as well as in declarations, his ability to save you to the uttermost. O oh, arise and inquire into these deep mysteries with all the humility and attention they demand. Second, when convinced of the truth of them yourselves, communicate them diligently to others. The shepherds would not hide within their own bosoms the things they had heard and seen, but published them abroad for the information of others also. And should you be silent, when you have so much clearer instruction to convey, should you not impart it gladly to those around you? Remember that if you have the knowledge of Christ as the only and all-sufficient Saviour, you are on no account to put that light under a bushel, but to make use of it, that you may guide others also into the way of peace. Third, make them the theme of your joyful praises in the midst of your earthly business. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. They forsook not their duty, but returned to it in a joyful and devout frame of mind. A discovery of the deep things of God is not intended to take us out of the situations in life which we have been called to fill, but to make us holy and happy in them. Let this effect be wrought on you. Neglect not your worldly occupations, whatever they may be, but serve God in them and abound in praises and thanksgiving for that which has been revealed unto you. However mean or toilsome your vocation be, care not for it but make it to appear that the knowledge of this Saviour can render any yoke easy and afford a joy which the world can neither give nor take away. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.